if I was trying to design a car that served the needs of 300 million people, I'd end up with a pretty lackluster, uninteresting car yeah. because I'd have to sort of address everybody's needs. But if I focus on people who want to go off-roading, I can start making more focused products. I can start thinking about designing a Jeep, something that's going to look very specific and have a value proposition. Banks are the exact same way. Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 71st episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Jeffrey Kindle to the show. Jeffrey is the CEO of Nimbus, and he is on a mission to help financial brands delight members and customers with best-in-class digital banking solutions. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Thanks, James. Robert, it's uh, great to be here. I'm a longtime listener and fan of the show, so it's, uh, it's a special privilege for me to, to be here talking with you today. Well, I look forward to, to, to learning from you as well, because you've got, you're doing such, such great work right now, a lot of great thinking. And as we start this conversation, looking ahead, looking ahead into the future, because the future is typically where I live. You know, I had a, a family member the other day Ask, he asked me, so what is it that you do? I was like, I bring the future into the present moment to help people see what the opportunities are. So it's just not so scary. And he was like, that was deep. So <laughs> as, as hey, we, that's a great tagline. I, I, I hope to be able to, uh, to, to share that someday. That's a, it's a great way to describe it. Yeah. And, and on, on your perspective, bringing the future, if you will, into the present moment, what are you most excited about right now? What do you see? Well, look, I think the way that I sort of view the world is I want to solve hard problems. I have something, I tell my team this all the time. I, I, I've lived this, I think, for the past probably 10, 15 years of my career, which is the market rewards people who figure out how to solve hard problems, not easy problems. And what that does for us is it, it, it's basically trying to give people the courage to think about, hey, I know that that sounds really impossible. And I know that that sounds, you know, like a huge challenge. But what if, what if it was possible? What if it was possible to go solve it? What would be the opportunity in the market? And the hard problem that I'm really focused on solving right now is I have a belief that the banking industry is about, to, we, we all talk about it in platitudes and you know, everything's being disrupted and everything's changing and that's true. But the next click down is like, what's, what's the consequence of that? What's going to happen? And one of the problems that I see right now is the community and regional banks are struggling and are facing, you know, somewhat of a challenge looking into the future. Now they're, they're being, you know, squeezed for growth on two sides, which is, you know, number one, by the big money center banks who have 
unlimited budgets and unlimited resources and unlimited talent to just go and capture big market opportunity. And then on the flip side, you have the fintechs and the emerging, you know, challenger banks and neo banks and whatever tag you want to apply to it. Those are squeezing from the other side. And, and the reality is, is that the attrition from customers, deposits and, and business is, is going elsewhere. And I think that leaves community banks and regional banks in a precarious situation. And we've seen this coming for years. So it's, it's nothing new. That's not a revolutionary thought. But now I think the technology and the ability to do something about it has finally arrived. And that's what, that's what I'm interested in, in doing is saying, how do we take technology? How do we take business processes and help give regional and community banks a fighting chance at survival? It's, it's really simple. Yeah, I like that perspective. Give them a fighting chance to not just survive, but I even think thrive kind of in this Absolutely. new world. Um, I, I like your perspective about solving hard problems. I can't just help but think JFK is in the back of my mind saying, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. But to your point, the market rewards those that solve the tough problems. And I even think that the tough problems, you know, first principles think or principle first thinking really drives a lot of my perspective of looking not at what's the limitations, but if this is a zero sum game and we're starting over, what can we do? What value can we create? And it really all comes down to the people, the people problem, the money problem that people are experiencing, the financial stress and the opportunity for those community and regional institutions to create massive value for people in the communities that they serve. But to your point, JP Morgan Chase, I mean, you know, they dropped $2.5 billion in marketing, just marketing in 2019. And that's, that's mass, that's huge. So it's about, I think, not necessarily working harder, but working smarter and digital is a multiplier that can help us really leap forward and, and move beyond the present moment, right? Absolutely. And I think it's a mix. One of the things, I had a presentation with a credit union board a couple of years ago, and they asked me, they said, what does going digital really mean? And, you know, the, the premise was everything's really digital now. Is it really something different? And they said, well, what do we need to be successful, you know, when we have digital banking, we think about that. And part of it was there's not just one single isolated category to think about as you're thinking about digital transformation. and and to one of the points that you and I've talked about in the past, which is like, how are you leveraging data? How are you leveraging, you know, engagement? How are you leveraging understanding what the problem is with, with the customer and the, that you're trying to serve. And it's really, you have to, you have to think across those different categories versus focusing on one or the other. And I, I think that's where, you know, this part of the challenges right now is that everybody comes at it from a sort of, one siloed approach. Yeah. And if you ask somebody who works at a, you know, uh, an AI company or a machine learning company, they're going to say it's all about the data. And then if you ask somebody who works in a digital banking front end company, they're going to say it's all about the experience. And the answer is somewhere across the spectrum. And I think that's, that's where a lot of the good work is being done right now in the brands and things like that is thinking across how do we use all these things together versus one individual silo. Well, that's why we developed the Banker Strategy Circle 
to begin with in the first place because it, it's a, about aligning all of these different internal perspectives and areas of expertise from marketing, from marketing to sales, from sales to service, and really kind of all three of those spectrums being supported by operations, by digital, by IT. And and at the heart of the banker strategy circle, it's it comes back to it's people, right? It's when 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 you can can step out of the silo and you start solving problems for people and not just that particular part of the silo, I think that's where the conversation becomes much easier because the problem becomes bigger than ourselves, which is the pain points of other people. And we're looking at ourselves in a whole new light of, you know, people have these problems, these pain points, these questions, these concerns, and they're looking for someone that they can trust to guide them. Now we have the solution, the prescription, the cures, to ease those pain points. Absolutely. And it's interesting because as the you know, CEO of a software tech company, we naturally gravitate towards the tech. We naturally want to talk about how wonderful our features and, and architectures and scalability and cloud, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's all great. And that has to be there. And I would sound completely incredulous as a software company leader if I didn't, you know, sort of say, yes, we need that. But where we've unlocked kind of our, our, our growth is that we stopped talking about our technology. And it's really funny because what we start with is what do your customers want? What are you really trying to do? And, and do it in a, in a way that is authentic mm. and not just leading them down the conclusion of, well, therefore you need to buy our software. That's because that's where we ask the right questions to get you there. But it's really saying, hey, we've got a platform that can do lots of things, but it won't make sense at the end of the day in the engagement unless we're thinking about your customer and what's the particular area where you're trying to grow or that you're interested in, in capturing more market share. So starting the conversation there and, and honestly focusing the majority of what we do on that problem, the, the other things follow. And, yes. But you have to have that conversation and be part of it, or you'll never be successful. I, it was funny. I, we, we recently moved to Colorado, and I took my kids out for their first snowboarding lessons. And we're, we're sort of, you know, I'm watching them go down the hill, and they've got an instructor. It's fantastic. But, you know, it's sort of they keep sort of navigating towards the things that they don't want to hit. And I, I reminded them, I said, you know, there's this principle called target fixation which means that you go where you're looking. Mm. And if you, you know, if you took driver's ed or you've ever been on a motorcycle or anything like that, you know that, you know, when the, the biggest thing that people make the mistake of is if they think they're going to crash into something, it's because they're looking at it. Yes. So, you, you know, you, you have to look to where you want to go and then everything else will sort of just naturally follow. And that's, that's my belief in, in leading digital banking and talking about that with customers, which is, We'll figure out the technology solution on the back end, but let's look where we're going. Let's let's make sure that we have a very clear picture of what it is that we're trying to get as the outcome, not just in terms of the project, but in terms of the growth. And if you focus on that, everything else follows. Target fixation. Look where you where you want to go. And it's that idea of bring, literally bringing the future back into the present moment to connect some dots there. I can't think but help. Like This is going to be a big part 
of the next book, which is called Banking on Change. And it uses a methodology that I call ACT, because if we're wanting growth to happen, it all boils down to doing one thing, and that is just acting or, or, or taking the time to act. Because we can talk a good game, but if you don't act, then you're going to be in the same exact place you are today that you were yesterday and the day before that. So w- what is that acronym? It's really about ascending the apex of awareness. Going, You're in Colorado. Going up the mountain, looking at where you've been, looking at where you're at down the mountain, and then, you know, focus, the horizon line, getting some clarity into what I call the territory of transformation, because between the apex of awareness and then the territory of transformation, we have what I call the seven C's. You know, you got to have to cross those seven C's. Now, it's going to take time and, you know, it can be really good. It can be clarity. It can be courage. It can be commitment and so forth and so on. Or it can be the, the antithesis of that, it, the seven C's could be very dangerous and deadly. It could be confusion. It could be conflict. It could be chaos, so forth and so on. So I think it's about gaining that awareness first and foremost into what the opportunities are. And then coming back to your point with technology, technology is just the vehicle that will hop in the boat to cross those seven C's, but it's getting really clear of what that future could look like, not just for the financial brand, but also for the people that that financial brand serves. And I wanted to that point, come back to getting clear of, of, of who we're serving, who we're creating value for. You've done a lot of thinking and writing on this subject. I think it's important. Niche. Niche, getting real clear about who the niche, the, the few that we can create the greatest value for. Can, can you expand on that thinking? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that I would say, you know, has been a recent development in my thinking and our team's thinking and, and how we approach the the problem. But one of the things, especially, you know, we're in the business of helping people stand up digital banks. And, and that's where we're getting our greatest growth and our the market's really excited about what we're doing. And we're, we're grateful for that. But I get a question a lot of times, which is, the road of digital banks is littered with dead banks. And, you know, people always point to the example of Finn or maybe even now simple. Simple, or, yeah. You know, there's lots of, there's, there's more, more examples than we have time to cover. And the, the objection is like, well, I don't want to end up like Finn and I don't want to end up like simple. How do I avoid that? And as we did a lot more thinking about what is it that really makes a product successful? Forget about banking, right? It's you got to think like a product company, which is you have to provide enough compelling value and a reason for people to come over to your product. And one of the things that we see is a huge mistake in digital banking is just standing up a new digital bank with the same features and functions and capabilities and value proposition as your traditional bank, if you're an existing traditional bank trying to start up one. Or it's so generic that your your value proposition is just that you're a digital bank. There's no real compelling reason for me to move all my financial relationships over uh, from my traditional bank to the digital bank. Mm-hmm. And I, I point to Finn. I mean, when when Finn, I'm a Chase customer. When Finn came out, I was really curious about what was going on. I logged in and I was like, "This is exactly what I have it in my current relationship with Chase. What's new? Why would I why would I use this? It's not even there's nothing different about it." And I see that a lot of these digital banks that have started up, that's just, it's almost like their value proposition boils down to, hey, we're digital. 
Well, that's not interesting anymore. When Simple started 10 years ago, that was a revolutionary thought. No branches, no, you know, we don't need any of that. Our collective thinking has evolved massively since then. Mm -hmm. It's not not about being digital. It's about what are you doing to actually improve my life or make my financial life easier or better or healthier or on so forth. And so the reason that that's hard to do to get that value proposition right is that people think too broadly about their market segment. So if I was trying to design a car that served the needs of 300 million people, I'd end up with a pretty lackluster uninteresting car because I'd have to sort of address everybody's needs. But if I focus on, uh, you know, people who want to go off-roading, I can start making more focused products. I can start thinking about designing a Jeep, something that's going to look very specific and have a value proposition. Banks are the exact same way. If you think about your customers in this very broad 300 million population in the U S you're not going to have a hook. You're not going to have anything that's going to be compelling for those people to come over but if I start focusing on a niche of, or a segment of the population, it actually allows me to get to a solution much faster that can be meaningful to them. You're echoing the words of Ben uh, Sopit, who's the founder and CEO of Unify Money. And they have a specific niche, high income earners, those that make $150,000 and more. And I think they narrowed their market segment down to about 15 million people more or less. But they're very clear of who they're going to create value for. And if you fall outside of that, no hard feelings. It's just not it's not part of our growth plan. Another one that comes off the top of my head is uh, aspiration. I mean, literally on their website. They have leave your bank, change the world. There's a good chance your bank is using your money to fund oil projects that destroy the climate. Put your money where your values are, join aspiration today, and then they've built their whole positioning and go-to-market strategy and even their product design, like turn every transaction into a positive action. Plant a climate change fighting tree with every purchase bow rounding up to the nearest whole dollar. Like they're not going to be for everyone aspiration that is. And they've gotten really clear though. So yeah, this is this idea of how, okay, I'm a CEO. I get what you're saying. I got some fears though. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, I'm turning away all this other opportunity. How are you going to help me overcome those fears, Jeffrey? Technology has transformed our world, and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now, consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to, because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now back to the show. Well, I think one of the things that has changed materially is that even in the past three years, 
the cost, the energy, the time, the focus, everything required a, a tremendous amount of energy if you wanted to start a digital bank or a segment or niche bank. So let's just rewind, you know, to a couple of projects that I had experience with in my my past life helping banks start digital brands. Well, the challenge was is that if you wanted to start a digital bank three or five years ago, you had your core processor over here, you had to pick a modern digital banking front end over here, and you had to pick a bill pay provider and a card processor and, a, you know, on and on and on. And by the time that you got everything that you needed together to start the digital bank, it was, you had 15 to 20 vendors minimum involved in this. Mm. And there was this tremendous amount of complexity to bring it all together that by the way, the bank was responsible for executing on, not the vendors. The vendors all played their individual role, but they weren't responsible for the whole project coming together and being successful. The bank bore all that risk. Yep. And what happened is that price tag turned into something that was 25 to $30 million. Honestly, the, the two digital banks I'm thinking of that I was involved with, it took two to two and a half years and it was north of, you know, close to 30 million bucks before they ever had one customer. Sure. Now the technology is evolving and now that people are focused on solving this problem, you can actually start a niche bank for, you know, less than a million bucks. And so we, what, what we've done is we've made the decision much, much smaller and much, and we've taken the risk off of the bank to make sure that everybody comes together and launches the, you know, brings all the technology together. And we've taken on that risk you know, from our company perspective. And again, we're not the only ones doing great things out in digital banking. There's lots of great suppliers out there and great software companies, and we love that. But today it's easier for a CEO to say, you know what, starting a digital bank is not risky anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not going to cost me 25 million bucks. It's not going to take the 30 people in our call center, you know, defocus them for six months while they learn a new brand and offer and product. So that's where we start. Yeah. And let's practically talk about that because I mean, you know, to build a physical branch location, traditionally three, four, $5 million, uh, yeah. easy, easy, but, and we're talking just, you know, kind of average run of the mill, you know, community branch going to cost 500,000 to 750 operationally to keep that thing up and running. And you're talking about being able to do almost the exact same thing for a niche market, do you see, because now you, that's almost like a branch in of itself. Do you see, is there a potential for an FI to have multiple digital bank brands focus around multiple niche markets? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think where the market has started, you know, sort of had to get its head around was one digital brand. Yeah. But then as you get the, it's the cost per, per digital bank goes down and the niche gets way more focused, you can imagine somebody having 20 digital banks as part of their banks. And so now- It's like a portfolio. Exactly. So, so, so the analogy I always use is, look, today's banks are like big box stores. Mm-hmm. I walk into the warehouse store and there's lots of products and I could probably find everything I need. And that's one way of going to market. But there's also another way of going to market, which is to think more like a high-end shopping mall. And so when I walk into the shopping mall, there's a Cartier store yep. and there's a Forever 21 and a Rolex and Nordstrom and all these great brands that are very, very focused on what the value is that they're bringing to that customer, what their product offer is, et cetera. That's where I try to encourage banks to think about where we're going in the future, which is 
don't think about your one big brand serving everybody. Think about how am I going to go create brands that actually reflect the base of the consumer that I want. I even and wrote that's about where it'll go. Yeah, and I even wrote about this in banking on digital growth. You know, this this idea of you got the WalMarts of the world. They're competing on price. And that's a very dangerous place to be because it's price sensitivity. It's always going to be, you know, pushing downward. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have the niche brands. And I think I you might have used like BMW to come back to your car example. And it's a higher end brand, but they're able to get more of a premium out of it because I think too. Financial brands that focus around a niche, you're creating community, you're creating like minds, and you're creating deep level expertise with whatever that that niche market is. Take Chewy, for example, the dog company. You know, you could buy your dog products off of Amazon, but you're not going to get the pet level of expertise that Chewy would be able to provide. And Chewy has its own brand affinity and community kind of already built into to that whole niche market in and of itself. So I like that. A portfolio of digital banks targeting yeah, around I'll, niche I'll make markets. it real for you by example. So we're working with two bank brands right now that we're launching. And these are examples of what we call niches. So one is a bank that's focused on the, the customer segment of newlyweds. So if you think about focusing on people at a specific journey point in their life, you know, when we get married, we bring together two different sets of finances, two different sets of accounts, student loan debt consolidation. There's all these things that as a newlywed, that there's different financial challenges that you have. And so we came up with this concept and we're launching that. But then we asked ourselves a question. I said, well, that's a point in time. What happens when you're not a newlywed anymore? What happens in a year from now or two years from now or three years from now where you're like, I don't identify with that group anymore. That That's irrelevant to me where I am now in my life. So then we said, well, we need a bank that serves the next need or stage of their life. And so we came up with a concept of an intergenerational bank. Yes. So this whole idea of the way that we think about finances with our family, with our children, with our parents, that's all getting more murky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, and there's a big market segment. It's like, you know, as I got older, I had to start helping my parents take care of their finances. And I'm also helping my, my 25 year old daughter take care of her finances. And so I need this point of view that it's not just me anymore. I'm actually managing the, the financials for, for people who are part of my family. And so we were like, well, as the newlyweds sort of start aging and getting more mature in their life journey, then you move them over into this intergenerational bank. And now they're in a place that serves the needs of that stage. And it could be indefinite, the amount of different stages that you go to. But when you start thinking about the customer and their life journey, those are the answers you get versus, well, let's just have one big brand that serves everybody's needs. Yeah. And I think about like the newlywed perspective. My wife and I, we do marriage prep uh, for for couples. And if you're going to focus around a niche market segment, then you can go to others that serve that same niche market. For example, there's a brand called Prepare and Rich that helps marriage prep. Well, then you can have cross alignment with these other brands serving the niche market to co-create value for said market. And it's, it's a multiplying effect of value creation across the board. So there's that like co-brand affinity opportunity that I see as well. I mean, this is a great practical example. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's another place where bankers need to worry or have be thinking about the threat coming in, which is, you know, you're, you've seen it 
we've seen it for 30 years with airline, you know, miles, credit cards, right? Yep. Every hotel chain and airline has benefited off of creating, you know, rewards points and affinity with their brand and their credit card spending. Well, now it's actually starting to go even deeper into your financial life. And this whole idea of embedded finance mm-hmm. is it's now sort of taking part of other brands. And I've, you know, the Apple credit card is like the perfect example, which is you have a big brand that recognized has a huge base of consumers, a niche that they can serve. Let's go create a financial product, put it in their hands and grow like crazy. I think we're going to see a lot more of big brands getting creative about how they take parts of people's financial lives and bring it into their, into their institutions. And I don't think we're, we've seen the the sort of apex of where that strategy can go. We're still climbing the mountain, but I looked at examples like Starbucks. Yep. Starbucks has two, $2 billion plus of deposits in their gift card program. It's now starting to be like, wait, that's actually like real money that's going through there. And, and that's taking money, you know, that two and a half billion dollars in Starbucks used to be out in a checking account somewhere, yeah. but it's not anymore. And, and that's, I think we're seeing some erosion from brands and tech uh, they're taking it that direction. I mean, coming back, make this very practical, you know, a niche banking brand for coffee lovers, a niche banking brand for scotch lovers, niche banking brand for pet lovers. Then you can cross partner with Chewy. I mean, there's so many. And, and, and I think like it's just opening up, going up to the apex of, of, of awareness, getting really clear about what the opportunities are. And then committing to that, committing. And here's a question for you. When you think about digital banking, what is a common belief that others in the industry might have about the subject and the idea of digital banking that you just passionately disagree with? I think it's probably less to disagree with, but I would say that we need to evolve our thinking about the value of digital banking. and. Mm. The way that I kind of see the journey that we're on, I think about digital banking in .o stages because I'm in software and I'm trained to think that way. But you know, digital 1.0 was you know basically providing access to to tools through either online banking or let's let's say mobile banking when that started taking off. It was all about being able to check a balance, make a payment, you know, see where your money is, et cetera. So it was really about in you know just information. Mm-hmm. Then it started, you know, moving towards just transactional self-service, which is where digital 2.0, I think, took over. And people recognized that like, hey, the first version of digital that we have was kind of clunky. The user experience might not be great. It was the first version out. No one knew what they were doing. So then everybody probably five or six years ago got really super focused around the user experience, the user yep. interface, making sure that it was this great experience like Netflix or mm. you know some other great digital brand. But it was still the, the features and what you could do with digital banking was still all around self-service. There was nothing that I could do to actually really, it wasn't focused around opening new accounts or having access to new products or thinking about growth. Yes. And now I think digital 3.0 is, is aligned with where, you know, your thesis is for, you know, the, the works that you've published and, and, and the themes that you talked about, which is now it's not just enough to have a, a great high fidelity looking app. CEOs of banking are, uh, banks are going, wait a minute, I'm investing millions of dollars into my digital stuff. How's it actually helping me grow? And yes. when I say grow, I don't mean taking call center calls away. I mean, 
adding new deposits, adding new loans, making things, um, you know, grow in that regard. Acquisition. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not been part of the theme yet. And I, so I think that the, as an industry, as software providers and as tech providers, we are behind the times in serving the banks where they need to be. And that's my biggest frustration with legacy tech providers is that we have an obligation to keep pace and push our banks and, and be there for them when they need growth. And we're not doing that. I want to touch on that. I mean, you know, you, you wrote, a very strong perspective piece on LinkedIn. And these were your words, quote, and you literally just said it. She said, I'm frustrated by the legacy bank tech providers, their posts, their videos, their webinars, admonishing banks for falling behind and not investing in digital fast enough. It's like the captor telling the captive they should do a better job at escaping. FIs know they need to find new ways to attract and retain customers. Our responsibility as tech partners is to remove obstacles to growth and Instead of moving the technology goalposts and then telling them that they're behind, they're behind because of you. And that post received, I mean, it struck a nerve. It received over 317 reactions, 33 comments. Can you expand on this? Because I'm in 100% agreement with you, as I know many of our dear listeners are as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. Sometimes you have to be naive or ignorant about an industry before you can kind of see where the flaws are. And I'm not a banker by background. I started my career in healthcare and I was a software engineer. And for 15 years, I was focused on solving problems in healthcare IT and, and patient experience. And so when I sort of started getting interested in FinTech and banking, I had an outsider's view. It yeah. was sort of like, well, that's stupid. Why are we doing that? Or why, why, why haven't you switched your core? And, you know, if, if you've heard this like constant conversation in the market, which I don't think surprises anyone, which is if you ask bank executives that say, hey, do, how, do you, how do you feel about your relationship with your core banking provider? <laughs> it's generally not positive. And, and in fact, the majority of the time, it's probably more antagonistic than that. And but people feel trapped and they feel trapped because the core providers are the ones that they're dependent on to to introduce new digital banking technologies, but they're five to six years behind the technology curve of what other things we're used to in our consumer lives. So they're just not keeping up with where customers want the banks to be. Yeah. And I, I, it, it was funny that the, 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 the behind the scenes of that post was I saw an ad from a traditional legacy provider and it said, you should, it was something about digital transformation and the, you know, the need for banks to continue to invest in digital transformation. And I was like, I can name 15 CEOs that use you as a company right now. And they would fire you in a heartbeat if they could, yeah. because you've prevented them and you haven't given them the digital tools that they've been begging for, for five years. And that to me is the frustration. Um, and I also think that some of the business practices that are common in the industry are, Number one, they're, I think they're at, at very least, they're bad for the competition and the economy and borderline unethical. I say that with some, you know, that, that won't make me really popular with companies that start with the letter F, but, uh, you know, I believe that having exclusive contracts is, is a horrible thing for customers. Well, it's a horrible thing for customers and it's a horrible thing for innovation because, you know, here's the thing, you know, it, it's the Microsoft model, right? And, and, and to your point, you, all progress, all growth, all transformation starts by telling the truth. 
And I think the more that we have these honest conversations, the more that we'll elevate this entire industry together. And that's the thing. This is about a mindset of what I call abundance to where there's enough opportunity to go around for for all of us to create together. Where, where on the flip side of this, it's, it's scarcity. And we're always going to be competing and fighting. And when, when that happens, no one wins. It's a zero-sum game. And I'm really hoping to elevate the this conversation to a much more positive stance to, to like the one we've had today. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, I feel bad for a lot of the banks and the credit unions because they want to grow. They want to be awesome at digital. They want to have all these tools. And the problem is, is that they just don't feel they can't get those from, from the legacy providers uh, yeah. at the rate that they need. And it was funny. There was another, uh, I chuckled and I won't call them out, you know, fully by name, but, uh, there was an advertisement I saw from a legacy tech provider and, and the, the, the headline was we've simplified contracts. We've made it easier. We're, we're not locking you into a long-term contractor. We're allowing you to pay month to month. And I thought, I thought, how funny is it that your, your lead message to the market about why you're great is that we're not going to screw you anymore. Yeah. And I thought that is, that's some rich, marketing and messaging going on there when it's like, well, you shouldn't have been doing that to begin with. Why is that now like a, you know, a, it's a positive message that we're not going to abuse you any longer. But I, I think that's the thinking of legacy providers. And, and, and look, they, they want growth. They need growth just like everybody else in the market. So they're searching, but they're doing themselves a disservice by looking for growth in contract terms and not in innovating and building new products. Well, I mean, it's the innovator's dilemma being played out before our very eyes, right? And and I think the, the neat thing with what you're doing and really your perspective, your background coming from healthcare is there's so much opportunity. If you can fix someone's wallet, you can help them improve their physical well-being. If you can fix someone's wallet, you can improve their mental well-being and because they're so interconnected. And I think that's that's the biggest opportunities that, that I'm looking at when, when it comes to just this idea of digital growth. And you mentioned this before. Let's not stop thinking of ourselves as, as bankers, but our, elevate our, our, our the value that we can bring to the world and to the communities that we serve. When we wrap up, and this has been such a great conversation, Jeffrey, I, I appreciate the, the knowledge and the insights that you've transferred today. One recommendation, if there's one recommendation that you could make to bankers and, and financial brand leaders, credit union leaders, what would that one recommendation be that they could commit to over the next year? That's, that's a great question. I would say it's a pretty simple one and it's think about your customers holistically versus just their banking relationship. Hmm. And what I mean by that is before somebody ever opens up their mobile banking app on their phone in the morning or during the day, they've opened up 15 other apps. They've done 15 other things. Think about what your product does in the context of their broader life versus just thinking about the particular transaction that you're trying to do with them. And that will lead you to understand your niche markets and how to serve and create longer term, sort of more deep relationships with your customers than what we're doing today. So, you know, think about it. It's like, what happens when I go to Starbucks and I made a payment and now I've, you know, gone onto a different app and now I'm in my banking app think about ways that you can bring all that together and, and fit in, in a contextual way in people's lives. 
versus just, uh, well, I'm their banker and this is what I do. And I think there'll be growth if you can figure out and truly understand uh, the customer. If I could bring that back, put people at the center of all of your thinking, all of your doing, and really commit to putting the transformation of people over what I would just call the commoditized transaction of dollars and cents. 100%. Jeffrey, it, it doesn't cost you a dollar to think about it. No, it doesn't. And, and, and if someone wants to continue this conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach out, connect with you, and say hello? Yeah, LinkedIn, Nimbus.com. My email address is jkendall at Nimbus.com. I, I, I love hearing from people, so glad to connect and, and trade more thoughts with, uh, with anybody in the industry. All right, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. James Roberts, it's been a true pleasure. Love talking with you. Love hearing your ideas. So keep up the great work. Really appreciate it. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and wash your hands. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.